Welcome back, Chair. Can you hear me okay now? Yeah, I can hear you fine now. Thanks. Wonderful. Um, and we have all the commissioners here, and we're streaming live to YouTube and recording and ready to go whenever. All right. Well, let's get started then. All right. Let me bring up the script. All right, good morning, everyone, and welcome to the regular meeting of the board of Multnomah County Commissioners. Um, we are all virtual today on account of the weather. Um, for those presenting virtually, please mute your mic when not speaking. When presenting, make sure to unmute your mic and turn on your camera. Um, and for all presenters, please state your name for the record before speaking or responding to questions. Can I get a motion on the consent calendar, please? So moved. So moved. Second. So we have Commissioner Stegman who moved, uh, Commissioner uh, Beeson who second approval of the consent calendar. Commissioner Myron. Aye. Commissioner Beeson. Aye. Commissioner Brim Edwards. Aye. Commissioner Stegman. Aye. And Chair Vega Peterson. Aye. The consent calendar is approved. Opportunity for public comment on non agenda matters. This is a time for the board to hear public testimony, not for board deliberation. When it is your turn to speak, I will call your name and unmute you. I'll set a timer for three minutes, um, at which point you may begin speaking, and I'll announce when your time is up, uh, at which point please wrap up your sentence. We have we received two verbal testimonies and one written testimony. I will start with Ann Casper. I'm going to go ahead and unmute you, Ann. Ann, you have to unmute on your end, and you may begin. Thank you, Chair Vega Peterson, commissioners, for having me here today. Um, and I would really also like to thank Marina Havaros for her years of help with us on giving us speeches and coming into the, she's always very nice and welcoming and organized. Really, really thank you, Marina, for your service all these years. My name is Ann Casper. I'm a member of the Health Information Technology Oversight Council for the state of Oregon. We advise on the creation of CIEs, or Digital Community Information Exchanges. And I am contacting you today because I had a personal uh, experience, and I'm curious about digital safety with Multnomah County. Um, if you're not familiar uh, with what's going on right, right now at the VHRC, to get services, anyone walking up can't just get services directly at the door and ask for help. You go to the doors and you get the attention of a staff member. They give you a piece of paper on it with a map. Actually, I couldn't read it. And uh, you go to a van near the Greyhound station, uh, which is quite far away from the VRC. And so I went down there for various reasons. I, I have no water. I have no electricity even before the storm happened. And I've been couch surfing for a while due to our house fire. Um, so I went down there and I was uh, quite surprised. You go up to a van and they and I and I found out you can make like two or three hour slots to go in and they may have washing facilities available or not because they, you know, they have a limited amount of washing machines but they wanted to take my picture. And I was quite surprised. Okay, I understand things have been happening down there, but you need a picture. So being on the Health Information Technology Council, I said, well, who keeps the picture? For how long do you get a picture? And 
and who keeps it and uh, they weren't able to answer that and i just didn't feel comfortable getting my picture taken i was able to get my clothes washed through a friend and that's fine um as i say your data is your gold and i'm hoping as we're setting up these digital systems which is happening right now in oregon that we do it and we're able to answer people's questions where is your data being stored uh, for how long and how do you get it off that system is it through the nonprofit organization is through the state is it through the county questions like that so i'd just like to end and say thank you all for your service in working in portland oregon it's not easy to be in government these days thank you all keep warm and goodbye Um, next, we have Josie Moberg. Uh, let me just get my timer here. Sorry. Okay. Um, one second, Josie. I'm going to go ahead and unmute you, Josie. You can unmute on your end. Can you all hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. Okay, great. Thank you so much, uh, Chair Vega-Peterson, the Multnomah County Commissioners. Thank you for providing me this opportunity for testimony. My name is Josie and I was born and raised in Portland. I recently graduated from Lewis and Clark Law School and passed the Oregon State Bar Exam. I'm currently living in Brooklyn neighborhood in Southeast Portland. Um, I came today just to first thank you for your diligent work researching and publicizing about the dangers of burning natural gas in homes and buildings. Educating the public about existing health and safety risks is very important work and I'm grateful that you took the initiative and effort to help make keep your community safe. Your report has circulated for over a year now, getting passed between friends and family members over email and social media, has sparked conversations and interest in electrification policy initiatives, and you really already have sparked a change, but the people can't codify this change without your continued support and leadership. You have the backing that you need to leverage your report and its massive public following into tangible policy to protect residents like me from continued investment in har harmful fuel infrastructure. Regulating polluting gas appliances has never been more achievable, and it certainly has never been more urgent. As stated in your report, gas appliances generate significant amounts of both indoor and outdoor NOx pollution, which has negative effects on public health and can lead to asthma and other respiratory issues. Gas appliances in homes and buildings are also one of the largest sources of climate pollution in the, in the country and across the state. Um, or in the county and across the state. We know that climate change in Oregon is a huge undeniable issue with the wildfires, heat waves, and severe winter weather that have become the new normal. So now is the time for Multnomah County to join other local governments in Oregon, like Ashland just did, by implementing concrete policies to decarbonize our buildings and protect public health and safety. And I think that a great route for doing this is to develop clean air standards for appliances. And I understand that this is a difficult time for me to be testifying about this, given the, the huge you know, electrical outages across the city. But what we do need investment in is like a resilient electrical grid and, and, a, and a greater focus on ways that keep us healthfully um, warm in the in the winter times like this. And I do think that's achievable through electrification more so than through the gas infrastructure that we have. That's all I have for today, but thank you all so much for your great work. Um, Chair, that is all the public testimony we have for today. I'll uh, we'll move on to R1. Thank you, Marina. R thank you. R1, second reading of ordinance amending MCC chapter 11.500 preschool for all program income tax to reflect certain administrative code changes. 
I have a motion. So, so moved. Second. Commissioner Segman moves. Commissioner Rim Edwards seconds approval of R1. Good morning, Eric. Chair and uh, commissioners, uh, for the record, Eric Mariano, Chief Financial Officer for Multnomah County, and um, also with me is Will Glasson, Senior County Attorney. And we are here for a second reading on the ordinance to amend um, Chapter 11. It's our preschool for all tax. Um, I will note that uh, from the first reading, we have not made any modifications to the proposed um, code amendments. Um, I won't go through uh, the great detail that I provided last week, but I just want to do a quick summary of what we're proposing to change in our tax code. Uh, the first, there's two actually policy changes that I referenced last week. Uh, the first one is to require electronic filing for tax preparers um, that are already required to file electronically with the Internal Revenue Service. Um, and this would be effective um, tax year 2024 uh, forward. And like I shared last week, um, this aims to improve the efficiency of the filing process, uh, minimize errors, but uh, really importantly to improve, um, to, I guess to support uh, and push more tax offers to provide electronic filing options for not only complicated returns, but also simpler returns. Um, the second um, proposed policy change with this code is around W-2s, and this is to add a penalty of $50 for instances where an employer uh, fails to file W-2 information or files incomplete W-2 information. And that's really aimed to hold um, employers that withhold on behalf of their employees to file accurate W-2 information, um, but also make sure that uh, our taxpayers have um, the right information when they're filing uh, their annual tax returns. And uh, the final component is just some housekeeping items around our uh, pass-through deduction um, that I shared uh, last week, no, there's no policy change. We just modified some language to be clear around the intent around that. Um, I will also note that during last uh, week's uh, first reading, uh, Commissioner um, Brim Edwards and uh, Commissioner Myron had an inquiry around tax administrative costs um, associated with preschool for all as the city of Portland collects um, the tax on our behalf. There was a, a question of how, how much that costs us and for Fiscal year 24, our budget is just under 6.3, uh, 6.4 million in terms of uh, tax administration costs. That includes uh, routine tax administration costs for the city, but also includes their costs for um, IT software that helps us support uh, the tax collection process um, for uh, preschool for all. Um, the chair did note uh, during the first reading that. Uh, in the first three years of the implementation of uh, the tax, there was a one-time only uh, implementation cost that the city um, assessed in our IGA, and that rolled off in fiscal year 23. So our current cost of six point, uh, just under 6.4 million, will only be adjusted by CPI moving forward based on the IGA, which is a 10-year IGA. So I just wanted to follow up on that inquiry that uh, Commissioner Brim Edwards and Commissioner Myron had la last week for first reading. So again, uh, no no, cha no changes from what we shared last week. And I'll just finish up with uh, the component that by making this, this change, um, it aligns us with our partner jurisdiction at Metro uh, around their uh, personal income tax for support housing. So I'll open up for any questions or comments you may have.
Thank you so much, Eric. We will go to the board for any questions and um, we'll start with Commissioner Myron. I do not have any questions. Uh, appreciate um, your getting back uh, promptly with uh, answers to the questions I had before. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Beeson. No questions, sir. Commissioner Brim Edwards. Yes, I want to just um, thank um, staff Eric for the information that I requested and just a uh, Clarification. So the trend line is it's running about 6 to 7 million a year for the tax administration. Um, and FY 22, we had the 12 million, which is reflects that 1 time charge. Um, so what we're anticipating is for the remainder of the IGA. That that we'd settle that back down to the, about that 6 million dollar level with a slight adjustments that's constrained by the. The IGA is that correct? That's correct. It'll be constrained, but just it'll just go up by the CPI, the annual CPI laid out in IGA. Um, thanks. That's uh, just the only clarification I had. Um, thank you very much again for the, the information between last week and this week's meeting. Thank you, Commissioner Stegman. No questions. Thank you. Thank you. And Marina, did we have any public comment on this? No, Madam Chair. Can we have a roll call vote then? Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Aye. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Aye. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega Peterson? Aye. The ordinance is adopted. Thank you so much, Eric and Will, for all your work on this. R2, second reading of ordinance amending MCC Chapter 12, business income tax to require certain tax returns to be filed electronically. So moved. Second. Commissioner Stegman moves. Commissioner Myron seconds approval of R2. Good morning again, uh, Chair and Commissioners. Uh, for the record, Eric Ardano, Chief Financial Officer. And Will Glasson, Senior County Attorney, um, and here for the second reading of an ordinance to amend Chapter 12, which is our business income tax. And uh, as I shared with the last uh, agenda item uh, for this uh, second reading, we're not, we didn't make any modifications from last week. And under this um, proposed change, there's just one policy element, and that is to require electronic filing for tax repairs, and in this case, also businesses. Um, through administrative rule that would be effective 2024 um, tax year uh, forward for all those instances where they're already required to file electronically with the Internal Revenue Service. And again, very similar to our preschool um, uh, um, description of why we're doing this is to improve efficiencies around filing and reduce uh, administrative errors that happen with manual filings, uh, but really to promote uh, more tax softwares to provide um, uh, options for complicated returns, but also uh, more simple returns for this. And in this particular case with this policy change, it, it, this will also align us with supportive housing's business income tax as they passed this in late November, but it will also align us with uh, the city of Portland around their business license tax. They made this change earlier in the fall as well. So all uh, our partner jurisdictions will be in alignment in terms of this uh, mandate around electronic filing. So. Uh, I'll open up for any questions or comments. 
Eric. Is there anyone on the board with any questions on this? Okay. Um, any public um, test? Sorry, Madam Chair. Just. Oh, oh, sorry, sorry, Commissioner Bremen. Yeah, please. I, I'm supportive of the policy changes and the efficiency. Um, just to clarify, so between this and the previous um, tax that we just discussed, this looks like this is about two and a half million is what we pay the city for the administration of this tax as well. Yeah, correct. Uh, Appreciate you bringing it up, Commissioner. I, I meant to, to bring that up because there was also inquiry around the costs associated with the city of Portland administration costs. And you're correct uh, for the business income tax, uh, the city of Portland in the most recent year um, charges around 2.5 million, uh, which also includes the regular tax administration in addition to uh, tax, tax software costs as well. And I think this was raised last week, but I'm not sure we actually um, had an answer, and I, or I can't remember what the answer was. Um, so between the two, that's what eight eight million eight eight to nine million dollars in tax administration costs. Is there a um, sort of point at which it would make sense that the county had its own uh, capabilities, or is this the most efficient way? At this point to what the tax or like say what what is that threshold where it would make more sense for us to do it versus the city collecting it for us yeah commissioner um so i'll say this we we did um we did do an assessment uh, uh a couple years ago that uh with the previous cfo that I actually supported with around assessing whether it made sense for multnomah county to take over tax administration for business contest this is before preschool for all and we, we took a look at it to see if Multnomah County could potentially do it at a lower cost. And the results of that came out that um, we could potentially do it at a slightly uh, lesser cost, but it was it was very immaterial in terms of the difference. But also we'd lose efficiencies that would that we gain with because our taxes are almost identical and most tax filers file with both of us. And so by creating a scenario where two jurisdictions are collecting, you're increasing the overall cost. To administer uh, these taxes, um, and that didn't seem prudent to the public as well. And then also, um, you know, right now when uh, tax filers file for business income tax, they file on one form for for both taxes. There's a lot of efficiencies gained there, and you're looking at one tax code that, that maybe they're pretty much aligned completely. And I also note that um, that I didn't share last week is that um, the city uh, the cities within the United States have access to uh, federal tax information uh, uh, that the IRS allows. Counties are not allowed to access that information. And so um, the city of Portland is able to acquire that information, which helps us identify um, payers that um, uh, file with IRS, but, uh, um, but don't file with us when they should. And so it really allows us to improve our, our collection efforts. And that would be if we ever considered potentially bringing in house, that would be a barrier in terms of our collection efforts and not having that information available. Um, I, I will say this, obviously that was before preschool for all. Uh, when we implemented preschool for all, we, we, it was a very short timeline and we didn't have the tax software to essentially collect that tax at the time. There was no way for us to stand it up in a very short period of time. And so um, Metro had actually reached out to um, the city to collect their 
personal income tax. And so we, we reached out to them as well. And at the time, it seemed really efficient and more cost effective to kind of combine the efforts um, to not only get it st stood up on the timeline that was requ requested, but also making sure that we're as efficient as possible for the taxpayers in terms of our collection efforts. So, um, you know, I'm not I'm not necessarily opposed to uh, taking a refreshed look every once in a while um, in terms of what, when it, what makes sense. Uh, but that, that's kind of a, a summary of, of what we have done in the past and kind of the current state of um, kind of that, that question that you asked. Great, I really appreciate that answer. Um, it does seem like an eight to nine million dollars is not insignificant. So it seems like always. I mean, if it's a, if it's an immaterial difference, it does seem like continuing with the current um, structure makes sense. Um, if it's material, it um, let's say eight to nine million dollars is not insignificant. Um, the other question I had, just since uh, we're on the topic, and I I wasn't uh, of the the taxes is uh, I know last year before I got on the commission, there was um, a fair amount of um, sort of non violers or people who were um, surprised by the taxes is. I'm curious about as we head into the upcoming so tax season, whether um, we know that there's been a significant education campaign or the tax filing software that previously didn't have. Um, the taxes and I know there's more SHS, but um, how how are we feeling heading into um, the tax season and the um, just lo level of compliance or people's awareness, taxpayers' awareness of the, the taxes and to avoid all the um, potential fines and um, other uh, penalties that people were concerned about receiving based on the new taxes. Yeah, absolutely, Commissioner. That's a, a great question, and appreciate you bringing it up again. Obviously, last year we had there was a, a lot of uh, uh, outreach with um, you know uh, taxpayers that were caught kind of unaware of the tax. Where um, there really was a lot of instances of, of people just not being aware, not intentionally uh, filing late, or just not paying. And so um, uh, we we took a lot of efforts, I think, with the the leadership of the chair to. Really push some uh, stronger campaign in terms of uh, outreach with um, those taxpayers, and obviously we we um, the chair made the decision to essentially create a tax amnesty last year, which kind of really supported that that easing of some of the pressure. Um, but we we uh, last year we had done um, uh, essentially sent out uh, communications to all uh, residents in Multnomah County uh, that could be subject to the tax. Um, uh, just with some some materials around them potentially being subject, and then um, some uh, materials so they can kind of go to our websites to learn more about the tax and, and provide um, resources for them for questions um, that they may have around that. And so um, we we every year we do a, a campaign with uh, a payroll companies and CPA firms. That's pretty standard, and we we've done that again this year, and we did that before. Um, we'll continue to do that. Um, and then for this year, we're actually working. I referenced this in my last um, when we did the first reading is that we're going to do another outreach campaign um, at the end of this month. We're working with the communications office and with the preschool program office to essentially send another um, communication to all subject payers around the potential of them being subject to the tax again to do some some outreach before the filing date in April. 
and we're going to continue to do that for, for a couple of years. It takes a couple of years for um, residents to really kind of uh, get a handle of, of a new tax. And so uh, we're going to do that again this year. And to your question around tax softwares, um, uh, last year as well, when we we're kind of going through some of the struggles, because some, some of it has to do with some of these uh, local tax, uh, I don't say local tax offers, but tax offers that a lot of our residents use didn't have the didn't have it in there, right? An option to file for uh, preschool for all. And so we wanted to really promote um, those tax offers to provide that because we can't require them to provide it. And so actually um, the chair, um, the mayor and um, the president of Metro sent out uh, a communication to um, some of the, the tax offers that are most used around really pushing for them to, to provide um, options for preschool for all. And there has been some um, uh, improvements in that front. Uh, some more tax softwares are actually providing um, options for not only um, preschool for all, but for supportive housing um, around that front. So still not all softwares provide, um, but uh, we have seen a, a increase and in improvement in terms of tax softwares providing. So that will really help, I think, with um, that uh, issue with some taxpayers just not being aware of the tax um, with uh, tax offers pro providing that option. Because um, a, a lot of taxpayer, tax filers use tax offers to do that. And, and just one final follow-up. Um, so I know that um, there is a couple of the um, tax offers that are sort of use um, most commonly used are have those ones adopted it or do we still have a big gap um with one of the major software yeah the the major uh tax softwares um forgetting the name it turbo tax for example um they are actually providing in some in some other uh products they do provide it now so which that that will really help and um i'll share this too uh um, we've gotten some preliminary kind of uh, this, the city of Portland um, uh, uses information they get from the state of Oregon and in terms of who filed at state level that may be subject to um, preschool for all or even supportive housing. And we get a sense of potentially the, the pool of non filers and uh, the, the pool for tax year 2022 has dropped significantly. Uh, obviously, there's still uh, non filers um, and some are new. Some are repeat, but it's dropped significantly from the first year of the tax. So, um, I guess there's progress. It's it's still we we got to continue to work on it, but uh, there's 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 some good progress. I really appreciate the work on it because um, I, I do believe most people that who who didn't pay the tax, um, it was not intentional, uh, but just the awareness. If you're living in Portland, you've got the the arts tax. I mean, there's just a whole host of um, taxes that um, come from different places. Um, so I appreciative that we're continuing to uh, with an education campaign and um, I, I don't believe most people are intentionally not paying the tax, but more um, just lack of awareness or not in the software. So thank you. Thank you. Any other questions for Eric? Right. And Marina, there was no public testimony on this item. Yes, correct. No public. Can we have a roll call vote then? Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Yes. Commissioner Brem Edwards? Aye. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega Peterson? Aye. The ordinance is adopted. Thank you again, Eric and Will, for all your work on this.
R3, resolution acknowledging receipt of the Multnomah County Comprehensive Financial Report uh, and Schedule of Expenditures of Federal Awards for year ended June 30th, 2023. So moved. Second. Commissioner Stegman moves. Commissioner Myron seconds approval of R3. Um, I will kick us off before we turn it over to um, Eric. I know we have members of our audit committee here today, and I want to um, just thank all, everyone for being here um, virtually for our annual comprehensive financial report. Um, the service that you give on the audit committee is um, so valuable and so appreciated. And I know that um, each of you on there have um, take your duties very seriously. We have many people who have been on the audit committee for several years and always do a, a really good job giving us a, um, a thorough accounting of Multnomah County's financials. Um, and I know we have some good news today, so I will stop talking and turn it over to Eric to start doing that. Thank you, Chair. Um, uh, and for the record, uh, Eric Mariano, Chief Financial Officer. And with me today, I have Anik and Shawnee from the Audit Committee um, that will be uh, uh, giving an update from their experience. And But also I have uh, Ashley Austin uh, with Moss Adams. It's uh, our external auditor, and uh, Ashley is the partner. And we're here to um, uh, to present a resolution to acknowledge the completion of the annual comprehensive report, which we refer to as our ACFR and our external audit. So um, today we'll we'll spend most of the time just sharing um, the, the information around the process of the audit, but also the audit report. Um, but I just wanted to just to kind of kick us off is, is share that um, uh, Multnomah County is required by order by statute to submit its financial report and its external audit uh, to the Oregon Secretary of State um, by the end of the calendar year. And so uh, historically at the completion of that process, we come to the board and acknowledge that completion and share the, the audit report. And so um, what the, the good news that I can share is that we we um, issued, which we refer to as when we complete, we issued um, our audit uh, and our financial statements, including our um, uh, schedule or uh, single audit, which is a, the audit of federal expenditures. We did that on November 17th and received an unmodified opinion, which is a clean audit opinion for fiscal year 2023. Um, so which is which is always great news to share with the county board. Um, you know, our, our, uh, process, our process to complete the financial statements is a huge effort. Um, but, uh, I always kind of like to think our financial statements to audit report are our way to show accountability to the residents of Multnomah County and to show them transparency. Obviously our financial statements provide a lot of, uh, great information around, um, our expenditures, how we spent money, how we prioritize our spend, um, it also allows people to kind of see our priorities and actually what actually happened. And then um, also allows them to assess uh, the financial health of the organization. Um, so in addition to a lot of other great information that's in the financial statements. And so I always like to, you know, to, to think that our financial statements are a reflection of, of our governing body, um, you know, uh, prioritization of having good financial practices um, good financial standards, uh, maintain a, a healthy financial organization, and uh, making sure that we always uh, prioritize um, compliance and being um, adhering to those federal requirements and state requirements and other requirements that we have from our external funders, because the county receives a lot of external funding. It's very important that we maintain compliance 
with those external requirements to ensure that we keep we we maintain the funding streams that we have and then we can also push for additional funding in the future where it makes sense to to maintain those essential services so um uh you know again i always say this i stress this is it's a reflection of our our county board's commitment to to good standards uh, within the organization and so i'll also note too that um you know our um uh, our current standing and even year after year with our audit and um our financial condition is our uh, bond rated agencies evaluate um, our financial statements and look at our audit and um, and uh, we hold a AAA rating with Moody's and SMP and they've noted that we have a, a still a strong tax base we have a strong governing board uh, we have healthy liquidity low debt le levels uh, we've done a very good job historically around funding our long term liabilities. Um, in addition to a lot of other things that kind of supports that AAA rating. So um, it is important that uh, we, we maintain that, we, we produce our financial statements timely, and that we have a, a, a strong audit opinion um, year after year. And so, um, uh, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll spend the majority of time going through the process of the audit and the audit results, because that's probably what you want to hear about. Uh, but again, I wanted to stress some of those key things around um, what it is and, and, and kind of where we're at. Um, I always recommend that the board take a look at the financial statements. There's a lot of information in there. Um, and some, some of the information is hard to understand because they make us uh, report things on a couple of different bases, which is kind of sometimes hard to understand. But uh, a couple of things that I wanted to kind of highlight with the financial statements. And again, there's a lot more information there. These are just kind of some highlights. Um, the county spent around 125 million in its COVID relief fund in fiscal year 2023. Um, that just reflects our, our continued effort during fiscal year three around the recovery from uh, the pandemic. Um, we spent around 181 million in federal funds in fiscal year 23. Of that, about 60, a little bit under 64 million was passed through to uh, community-based organizations to deliver services on our behalf. So, and that's way above um, historical norm over the last, obviously, with, with the pandemic and all the ARPA money we got, there's been a lot more of federal dollars we spent, but also federal money we pushed out. Uh, I will also, also note that um, we actually had an increase in, in capital expenditures um, significantly in fiscal year 23. That has primarily uh, to do with the library capital project that really picked up in fiscal year 23. Uh, obviously, we're going to continue to see that into fiscal year 24, but we had a, a big uptick in terms of that that spend. Um, I, I will note too that we implemented a, a GASB 96, which is a governmental county standards statement around subscription IT software, and uh, we implemented that successfully in in the fiscal year. Um, we also had much higher interest um, earnings in fiscal year 23 as a result of obviously interest rates being much higher. Um, and we also issued debt in uh, fiscal year 23. Um, we had what debt, wanted debt issuance early in the fiscal year for the Burnside Bridge project. That was to fund um, the design and right-of-way phase of the project. We issued about $25 million in um, a direct bank placement loan, uh, full faith and credit within the fiscal year. Um, we maintain our, our reserve levels um, for fiscal year 23, which is always good. Um, and those are just some highlights that I just want to know. Again, there's a lot of good information on there in the financial statements. Always uh, recommend you take a look at it. If you have questions, um, please let me know. And so um, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass it over to Anik and Shawnee to kind of talk about 
the audit committee process and some of their feedback that they have from from their experience with that. We it's a long process. We start in um, I think in June and we don't finish up until November. Um, but before I do that, I just wanted to share too that um, for fiscal year 22, we uh, received the GFOA. Um, that's the Government Financial Officers Association Financial uh, our Excellence Report, uh, Excellence uh, uh, Award for Financial Reporting. Um, and that'll be for the 38th year in a row, which is always good news. I like to share that with the board. And we are we submitted that request for this year as well. So hopefully we get that award uh, for fiscal year 2023 financial statements. And so um, I'm going to pass it over to um, to the audit committee and chair. Um, we're going to um, have Shawnee and um, Annette give uh, an update, and then we're going to move over to Ashley Austin to actually go through the slides uh, of the audit results. And then I would like it to come back to me just because I want to do some acknowledgements and then we'll open up for questions and comments if that's okay. So that sounds great. Go yeah. ahead, Eric. Thank you. So Shawnee and, and um Anik, if you want to take it over. Thanks, Eric. Um, can you all hear me? This is Anik. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. My name is Anik. I'm a community member. Um, I'll say my full name. My name is Marie Anik Yagapen. I'm a community member on the audit committee. Uh, you can see me, I'm very covered right now, I'm very cold with the weather, no power. Uh, the meetings, I'll talk about my experience as Eric um, mentioned. The meetings are very organized. The team uh, keep communication lines open. As Eric alluded to a couple of minutes ago, there's a lot of information. Some of it is hard to understand, but the external auditor, they're very clear. Um, when we, answer, when we ask questions to follow up uh, with us with answers or clear answering um, answers. What else um, would I say? That's pretty much it. Take it over, Sani. Thank you, everyone. Hello, um, Chair Vega Peterson, Commissioners Myron, Beeson, Brim Edwards, and Stegman. Hey, y'all. Um, thanks for giving me this moment. Um, just again here to reiterate a lot of what Annick said um, and talk about the process and procedure of it. I've had a couple cycles of this and this was by far the best one. Um, easily, easily the best one. Um, I would love to extend my appreciation on behalf of the taxpayers of Multnomah County, Tomas Adams, Auditor McGurk, and the Multnomah County employees for how clear, efficient, and error-free this cycle was. Um, because of that diligent work of the staff, we were regularly updated throughout the entire audit process. I felt very informed. Um, as many people here may know by now, I question everything and can be a little bit opinionated. Um, now, you can imagine an entire committee of opinionated people who question everything. Um, and that could be a lot to manage. But again, this year, I felt like my questions were welcome and appreciated. I felt comfortable processing the data at my own pace. Um, and this was a near perfect audit. And I'm going to say this twice because it's truly an incredible feat. This was a near perfect audit. And the employees of Multnomah County deserve a standing ovation 
for the work they've done ensuring that the taxpayers have clarity about where the money goes. And as someone who's a volunteer, meaning no one pays me for this and I do it for fun, I'm not sure how fun works, but I do know that my time was well spent and valued here. So on behalf of myself and the volunteers, thank you guys for not wasting our time, like for real, truly, thank you. Thank you, Anna and Sean, I really appreciate it. So, um, so Marina, can you uh, uh, bring up the slides and um, we'll, I'll pass it over to Ashley uh, Austin to um, uh, provide the audit results, which we're excited to kind of hear about. Thank you, Eric. For the record, Ashley Austin, partner with Moss Adams. Good morning, Chair Vega Peterson and Multnomah County Commissioners. I'm happy to be here to talk through the audit results. If you go to the next slide, please. So I'll go quickly over the key service team members and then, um, you know, sitting in your chair as a commissioner, I've structured the presentation a little bit differently than in years past and uh, basically laid out four questions that you should want to know the answers for and then um, the, the relative responses to those and essentially the audit results as well. And then our required communications with those charged with governance, which was had with the audit committee back in December, but I'll give the, the highlights here today as well. If you go to the next slide. So here's your team. The, uh, I served as your engagement reviewer, which means I'm overall responsible for the engagement and supervision of our staff. I sign your audit opinion. Uh, Amanda McCleary-Moore is a partner in our Medford location. She served as your concurring reviewer. A concurring reviewer is essentially a cold reviewer. She picks up the financial statements as well as a few items in your file that we as auditors make judgments on, things like materiality levels, significant risk areas, those types of things, and then uh, how we wrap up the audit as well. Uh, Leela Annan is a senior manager in our Portland location. She served as the senior manager overseeing the IT uh, procedures as part of our audit process. And then Kelly Jones is a senior manager in our Eugene location, and she helped me supervise both the financial statement and the single audit this year. You go ahead to the next slide, please. So this is question number one, and it, it has five different components essentially. And what does an audit of the county entail? And so the first, the first thing that it entails is really that independent verification of significant transactions and balances. You know, it's that confirmation with third parties for your cash and investments and debt. We also perform substantive analytics and look to see if they meet our expectations. The county has been a client for several years, so we have a lot of historical data to build expectations off of. And then if they don't meet our expectations, asking more questions and corroborating those differences. We also perform substantive testing procedures. That's really the show me portion of the audit, looking at invoices, check copies, bank statements, et cetera really inspecting those source documents. The second piece is evaluation of the effectiveness of internal controls. While we don't issue an opinion on internal controls, we do know based on our historical experience with auditing the county that the key controls in place at the county are sound. And so we do spend some time reviewing those key controls in place for significant transaction cycles, things like property taxes, cash disbursements, revenue transactions, payroll transactions, journal entries, reconciliations, those big 
big key controls, and we're testing for operational effectiveness to see if they're operating effectively and reporting any control weaknesses as a result of our testing. The third piece of an audit at the county entails testing compliance with federal and state laws. As an Oregon municipal corporation, you are required to comply with various Oregon revised statutes, and we are required to perform procedures in accordance with Oregon minimum audit standards and state laws that's really surrounding your budgeting process and procurement are the, the two big significant areas that we spend time on. And then of course you receive and spend a lot of federal awards. So we spend quite a bit of time auditing the compliance related to those federal awards as well. You go to the next slide, please. The last two items that uh, county audit entails is that technical review of the financial statements. So we're making sure that when we get the ACFR from management, that all of those balances in the financial statements agree to what we audited and the source documentation that we looked at. And we're also making sure that those financial statements are meeting all of the applicable GAAP, which is generally accepted accounting principles, state, legal, and those GFOA award requirements so that the county can continue receiving that GFOA Certificate of Excellence Award. We also look at supplementary information and opine that it um, is accurate in relation to the financial statements as a whole. And then we, of course, report the audit results. So we had regular check-ins with the internal auditors throughout the audit process. We were on site for approximately eight weeks between September and November. I think I met with them about once every week or every other week in person to give them an update. We also had updates with management, Eric, Cora, et cetera, uh, throughout the audit process. We had our exit meeting with the audit committee, which I already referenced back in December. And then now I'm here today to give you some reporting as well on audit results. You can go to the next slide, please. So are the financial statements accurate? Um, as I mentioned on the previous slides, you know, our audit procedures really relate to, you know, we performed a risk assessment to identify the significant risk areas where we were going to spend the most amount of time. We looked at those internal controls for effectiveness. We performed that substantive testing, that looking at source documentation and perform that technical review of the financial statement. So what were the results? Eric already shared, but we issued an unmodified opinion, which is a clean opinion, the highest level of assurance that the county can receive. It means your financial statements are fairly presented in accordance with US generally accepted accounting principles. So kudos to management. It takes all year to um, receive that opinion of watching their controls and being diligent with their, with their audit or with their controls, et cetera. If you go to the next slide, please. So the third question is, did the county comply with applicable federal and state laws and regulations? And as I mentioned before, you know, we perform a risk assessment to really identify the applicable and significant compliance requirements. And then we perform compliance testing over federal grants and several state laws around mainly budgets and uh, procurement. So our results, we uh, issued two separate reports, one report on Oregon minimum standards, and that resulted in no control findings. We did have one compliance finding. Uh, the county was overexpended in one of their funds, facilities and management fund, totaling $1.37 million. And it's required to be included in our report when there is any sort of overexpenditure, even if it's by a dollar. And um, we also issued reports on the single audit procedures. So we tested five 
buckets of funding this year. Those were your ARPA funds, the highway planning and construction funding, continuum of care program, and then block grants for prevention and treatment of substance abuse and the block grants for community mental health services. So five major programs this year. We, of course, uh, tested all of the various compliance requirements that we were requir required to test. And as a result of our testing, we did not have any compliance or any control findings to report in those opinions this year. So um, I think that's a, a pretty big statement. I think there's been several findings in the previous years and there are no findings in 2023. So again, great job to management. You go to the next slide, please. The last question is just did the audit result identify any fraud, waste, or abuse? Again, you know, we evaluated those key controls for all significant balances and transaction cycles. We had a an internal brainstorming brainstorming session with just the audit team to identify any fraud risk areas. We interviewed individuals throughout the county. And as a result, we didn't have any reportable matters of fraud, waste, or abuse to report uh, as a result of our audit procedures. Go to the next slide. And then to the next slide, please. So as I mentioned, we did have uh, a longer discussion with the audit committee back in December. Uh, going through all of our required communications with those charged with governance. But just a couple of highlights here. We did communicate there that there were no audit adjustments. So there were no corrected audit adjustments, no uncorrected audit adjustments. So the trial balance that we received from management is what you see in the financial statements. We didn't propose or have any correcting journal entries. We didn't have any difficulties encountered in performing our audit. That would result in, you know, difficulties in, um, receiving source documentation from management or receiving access to individuals that we wanted to talk to. And there were no disagreements with management about an accounting or auditing matter. So it was a very clean year. If you go to the next slide, this is just a thank you slide. Again, thank you to you as the county commissioners, the audit committee, we enjoy working with, with you. And then also, you know, the internal auditors, Jennifer McQuirk and Anna-Marie McNeil, Eric, Cora, Sammy, all of the individuals in the GL department, we, we really appreciate all of your time and attention that you give to my engagement team. Um, I know it's a lot of effort and we ask a lot of questions and ask for a lot of source documentation, but um, a lot of gratitude for your team and, and for this commission for all of the uh, excellent, excellent results this year. So I will hand it back to Eric. Thank you, Ashley, appreciate it. Um, so again, before uh, we open up for questions and comments, I, I just wanted to uh, do some acknowledgements, but I did want to just quickly follow up on that the the compliance finding around uh, over expenditure in the facilities fund um, that had to do with uh, I think it was I think it was either two or three leases that uh, were approved during the fiscal year, and um, though they were uh, approved by the board uh, for these new leases, um, the, we did not. Uh, uh, do an appropriation change to account for the new expenditures that were associated with those new leases and that which resulted in that over expenditure by 1.3 million and um we really didn't notice the um the over expenditure till late in the fiscal year and so um we we work with it happened in the department of county assets and we work with the the department to um add some controls to make sure that uh the, those uh, instances where we're adding leases that they make sure that they fall in with the budget modification 
where it makes sense where they need to increase their appropriation. And so I think they made those those modifications that really help. But also, I think with the efforts that the budget office is doing around um, more transparent and, and frequent uh, budget actuals that were countywide, uh, it'll really help highlight um, these types of instances earlier in the year. And obviously, the budget office does their their budget actual in addition to that, and then um, general ledger and, and, and central finance does it as well. So I think we have some good um, uh, enhancements that we've done to hopefully prevent that in the future. But just wanted to note that follow up on that uh, internal control finding. And in terms of just, I'll try to be quick with acknowledgements. Um, you know, uh, when we're a person, I always like to kind of point out some of the folks that are in the audience in terms of, um, you know, the, all the hard work that gets put into this. Um, and I can't do that today, but I, I will acknowledge some folks. Um, I'll first start off with, I just wanted a appreciation for some of the, the central functions, um, central accounts payable, um, workday ERP support, um, payroll and county treasury. Um, I also want a big thanks to um, our department fiscal users across the organization. This is not just a central effort. This is, um, you know, fiscal staff all across the organization um, are, are, are doing some of the stuff that supports what ends up on the financial statements and also even the audit process. So a big thanks to every department and their fiscal staff that they have um, uh, there. Also wanted to give a big thanks to the budget office. Obviously, central finance works really closely with the budget office throughout the year. And there's a big portion of the audit that around Oregon minimum standards that Ashley talked about, where um, the budget office is a very um, strong and effective uh, budget process um, to make sure that we're always in alignment with Oregon uh, requirements around how we, we we go about our process to develop our budget and get it approved. Um, so big thanks to uh, Christian and her team. Uh, also wanted a big thanks to um, the internal auditor's office. Um, we've always had a really good partnership with Central Finance and working with our external auditor. Jennifer and Anna Marie, a huge help. Um, they they work with us throughout the whole process. They coordinate the audit committee, and so big thanks to them um, in terms of that process. Uh, great partnership we have with there. Um, big thanks to the audit committee and to uh, Commissioner Brent Edwards for representing our county board on the audit committee. Um, if I'm correct, Commissioner Brent Edwards, I think one of your first days that you had with the county, I think you joined our audit committee meeting. I was like, I. I I didn't expect you to show up for the first day, but um, really shows your your dedication and commitment. I appreciate you showing up. If I may be wrong on the exact date, but I felt like it was your first day, so I really really appreciate that. Um, and then also, I, I again big appreciation to our external auditors. Um, you know, uh, we we spend a lot of time with them, um, and we appreciate them being in our in our offices. I think we get things done a lot more efficient, and we build partnerships throughout that process. And even though it's a, it's a long, like I said, it starts kind of in April with some of the IT stuff and risk assessment and it goes all the way uh, to the time we issue. But we we set a date and we have to work together to make sure that we have we, we meet that date in terms of issuance. And so um, really big thanks to them. And um, also we'll know this is really um, a minor thing, but for us, it's pretty big. Um, we've been we've been trying to push um, to issue our financial statements a little bit earlier during the year. Obviously, we're not required to do it until the end of December, but um, we pushed it up uh, two weeks this year. So we issued on November 17th. A lot of, of, of the reason why we're trying to push up the timeline is to not only to make sure that staff, because we will put a lot of hard work into this. There's a lot of extra time that's put into this. So we want to make sure that we get it done before the holidays, but also it's very important for us to make sure that we we provide um, our information uh, around our financial statements and audit 
earlier to the public it's also very important us again for transparency and accountability so that was a big reason for us to push that and for us to actually do that seems simple but it, it required a huge effort across departments with schedules and, and and commitments and also the auditor to kind of work that that schedule so big thanks to them um and then finally i just wanted to um acknowledge the team that actually puts this together in central finance um they're the ones who do all the hard work and do a lot of the the direct uh, collaboration with our our external auditors and um, to our um, deputy CFO Cora Bell, big thanks um, to our general ledger manager Sammy Gillum, um, huge huge appreciation there. And I'm gonna list out each of the individuals that that work in um, general ledger and fiscal compliance that uh, support the effort, both the financial statement audit, but also the the audit of uh, single audit, the the audit of federal expenditures, because that's a separate component. Um, Paul Steele. Uh, Mike Rogers, uh, Deborah Evans, uh, Rhonda Brantley, uh, Stella Susie, uh, Matthew Dames, um, Rhoda Skinner, uh, Holly Benjamin, and Alex McCober. So a uh, big appreciation to the team. I wish they were here so you can see them and they could stand up because they put a lot of effort to it. They take great pride in making sure that we produce quality information and we adhere to external requirements to make sure that we protect the county and its assets. So. Uh, big thanks to them. So um, I'll leave it there. So um, chair, uh, I'll now open up for any questions and comments that you may have. Great, thank you, Eric. We will go to the board for any questions or comments and we'll start with Commissioner Beeson. Thank you, chair. Uh, I don't have uh, any questions. I just wanna appreciate uh, the team for uh, all the great work and an amazing audit outcome. Thank you, Commissioner Bremen Edwards. Uh, thank you. And Eric, it was day two. Um, and uh, I will say this is one of those assignments that uh, the chair gave me and I was very enthusiastic about it. Um, I believe that audits are um, a great way for us to both demonstrate um, our financial accountability um, and accountability to the broader community, um, but also um, allows us to be an organization that um, engages in con continuous improvement. Um, so I was delighted to spend my second day um, as a commissioner on the with the entrance um, meeting for this particular audit, and I just. I don't have any questions um, about it, but I do want to also sh share my appreciation for the audit committee members. Um, they're inquisitive, thoughtful, bring um, their expertise uh, to this work on the audit committee. And as a Multnomah County taxpayer, I will say that I really have confidence in the, that the committee does an excellent job um, in representing uh, Multnomah County residents and taxpayers um, as part of the audit annual audit committee process. Um, so thanks to the audit committee members. Um, and in addition, I also just want to share appreciation for Moss Adams, um, Auditor McGurk, and the Auditor's Office staff. And also, um, Eric, for your leadership um, throughout the process. Um, I think it's really incumbent upon the county to continue to demonstrate that we're operating in a way, you know, transparently and accountably. Uh, for the the dollars um, that we receive, not just from taxpayers, but also from other governmental entities. Uh, so lots of appreciation uh, this morning. Uh, one thing I, I'm wondering about is 
I'm not, I was noticing this morning that the audit actually isn't posted with our agenda, the actual audit. Not that everybody's going to read through it, um, but I'm wondering if there's a reason for that. And if it, there's if there's not a reason not to post it, whether we can post it just so we have the actual audit, in, uh, the company, the resolution, and the presentation this morning. Commissioner, the 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 audit report is uh, posted. It's the audit reports within our uh, annual comprehensive report. It's some pages in that that document. Um, is it a link? I'm not. I'm not seeing it on the agenda. Okay. Yeah. I, it, it's not on the agenda. We didn't uh, provide a link to the actual um, annual comprehensive report, and the, which incorporates the audit report. Um, but it's actually there in our in our public page, and I can send you the link after the meeting. Yeah, yeah. If, as just considering that we're approving it, I'm wondering if that could just be added as a link. Yep. It just um, if you yep. go to look for, um, you see the presentation, the resolution. Um, but there's just not a separate link. So just from yep. a. Again, yep. not that a lot of people from the community yep. are um, going to look and read through it. I just it's yep. great to have that as an artifact yep. along with our agenda items. So uh, what I what I could do, Commissioner, because it, it it is it, on the APR. There's a link to the annual comprehensive report that has the audit report. But what I can do is I can send it to Marina the specific link, so we put it as a separate line, so it's easier to get to. Um, so they can you can actually see that. So we'll, we'll do that right after this meeting. Appreciation. And thank you again for your leadership. Thank you, Commissioner Stegman. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you, Eric, and everyone across our county who's participated. It really sounds uh, like it was a group effort uh, and one that begins uh, very early uh, with lots of involvement from everyone. I also want to thank the audit committee. Uh, thank you, Shani and Anik for being here and for your uh, seal of approval over the process. I think it's really so important for volunteers to basically uh, come in and review our processes so that they can assure the public that we are indeed uh, spending taxpayers' money wisely. So appreciate all of the people that Eric has mentioned uh, and uh, Commissioner Brim Edwards as well, and uh, of course, Moss Adams for their continued work. Um, Eric, I did have a couple of questions, and I know that our bond rating is always, you, you mentioned it is triple A rating, which is amazing. And I'm wondering, um, do what is our debt limit or our, our uh, bonding limit? Uh, like what capacity do we have? Yeah, Commissioner, there there is um, uh, debt limits that are set by um, Oregon by statute. Um, like, for example, for um, uh, voter approved, I think it's like 2% of um, our assessed tax uh, tax amount for the year. Those those are those are enormously high. And so I, I even though they're they're um, limits that the state says, we don't really necessarily um, shoot for for those um, to um, for our debt limits. Uh, we have uh, in our financial bu budget policies, we have debt limits around how much we can hold and um, for uh, debt that is supported by general fund. It, uh, it can only be a 5% of annual debt service uh, for that's um, a percentage of our um, annual general fund revenues. So again, our, our 
annual debt service that we have a year can exceed 5% of our general fund revenues for the year uh, for general fund supported debt. And that is actually a, a really important um, cap that we have for our debt limit um, because it really ensures that we're not uh, overstraining our general fund with um, paying debt and interest on debt. So we want to make sure our, um, our general fund is going to funding essential services for the organization. And so um, that that uh, particular policy threshold that we have for debt uh, has really helped us. I think um, even um, uh, there's a lot of things that our debt rating agencies look at, but that has actually been a, a really important piece in terms of maintaining our um, high rating um, in terms of keeping our, our debt levels low is having that um, essentially debt limit for, um, again, debt supported by uh, general fund revenues. Obviously, there's there's debt that can be issued um, that is supported by a revenue stream, just like with uh, the library bond project. Obviously, we have a levy um, that we're collecting over a certain period of time that revenue generated from that goes to um, essentially pay debt service. So obviously, we have uh, that 5% cap does not apply to that. But uh, I think the important piece that I want to reference is the one that um, is supported by general fund. Great, that was really helpful, Eric. Um, so, do you know, like, what are what percentage we're at currently? Yeah, actually, actually, uh, I do this every year, and I can always I can share this with the board. I I, I think I do it when I um, share the financial and budget policies when we uh, review those every year. Um, but of the five percent uh, amount that we have, um, I think last time I looked at it for um, fiscal year twenty four, um, and this was based on budget. Uh, we were using about half of that and so um even from that we're we're significantly below that so um but uh, i i wouldn't say that that's a you know we we, sh we should go issue deck so there's always trade-offs obviously with um you know providing uh, essential services but uh we're at about half of that great thank you that's really helpful well congratulations uh once again on the gfoa uh, certification of excellence. That's incredible. 38 years. Uh, I don't know. We got a 40th year coming up. I don't know if you're going to do something special, uh, but it really is reassuring as a commissioner to uh, continuously year after year hear these, um, you know, clean audits again that just reinsure, um, you know, to the public that, that we are spending money wisely. So, uh, and that is due to your leadership, auditor's office, and all of our, our fiscal staff throughout the county. So thank you so much and congratulations. Thank you, Commissioner Myron. Hey, um, thank you so, so much. I'm just going to keep on my gratitude, Eric, uh, to you and your incredible team uh, and also to Moss Adams for all uh, all of the work, all of the dedication and energy and um, and time and uh, and success in continuing to uphold these excellent uh, uh, financial um results and you know i think one of the things though that i always bears repeating and i i, I think i say it at every every time we get this presentation um it, is that 
the financial audit makes sure we dot I's and cross T's in terms of compliance with sort of technical financial requirements. And we do have an amazing team and it's always heartening to receive the clean audit opinion and be an excellent financial health. Um, but I, I have a question and it, it, I don't know if it's a question, it's a comment, um, but I'd like your thoughts on it. Um, you know, Commissioner Stegman referred to the audit reassuring the public and, and the board that we are spending money wisely. And for me, that's a different question that is not addressed by this particular audit. For me, this audit assures that we're in regulatory compliance, super important. But my concern is that we are conflating that with using our money strategically and getting value for our investments. Um, two separate things, we need to be doing both of these things well, but they're not the same. And what we're addressing here today is financial compliance, not that we are using our money in the best possible way to achieve the best possible outcomes for people. Is that is that accurate or am I missing the boat? There? Yeah, no, no I, I, and I won't, uh, Ashley, if I, if I misspeak here, uh, please jump in. But uh, our audit report is not, it does not opine around whether, um, you know, this is the right way to, to spend the money um, in no way or another. That obviously yeah. that's our board uh, is, you know, has that authority and decides how that gets done. Our audit is not going to opine on that. It's it's more from a compliance and, like you said, regulatory standpoint. I, I, on the flip side, I would say that again, the way our our financial statements are laid out, um, it does allow the reader to make an assessment and a review of how we're spending money. Obviously, we have a budget that lays out the plan and the priorities, and then when you look at our financial statements, you can actually see how that played out in you know real time right what what actually happened what was the budget what actually happened so um i do think it's it's still uh, it's still a document that reflects um again how what we did that you can compare what we planned and then what our priorities are obviously there's some comp there's some complexity to our financial statements <laughs> based on how they they require us to produce it but i still think it's a document that 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 shows uh, again, some accountability and uh, from what we spend on uh, to the public, but the audit report does not opine on that. So you're correct from that statement. Okay, I really, um, I really appreciate that, and I think it's just so important because I think it 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 is those things seem like they would be, and they are intimately related, but they're they're not the same thing, and. Um, you know, one of the things I've been actually concerned about is that we don't have a way an auditing process or a way to put the pieces together to say whether we're using our money wisely to achieve whatever outcomes are that we are putting out in various plans. And so, you know, a couple of areas I think about as specific examples, you know, rent assistance, I, there was a devastating report at the state level. I'm, you know, I'll be interested in our uh, upcoming, I think we're having a briefing fairly soon, but 
you know, oversight, accountability, administrative costs, what we're getting for that, whether that's been effective, um, you know, putting that together, some of the supportive housing services measure stuff. I, I'd sponsored in our, I think the fiscal year 23 budget, um, an amendment to bring in an external consultant to evaluate our contracting process because I think the county auditor for over a decade had been saying we're not doing contracting up to snuff. And so I think they've identified, which is great, opportunities for change. It'll hopefully be incorporated into the upcoming budget. Um, but that'll provide additional opportunity to maybe more, maybe help put the pieces together so that there is more alignment of financial health and sort of big picture and dotting I's crossing T's and we're investing our money in to accomplish these goals and it is actually happening. So anyway, I, I really, again, appreciate your work because the financial health of our organization and um, is, is of utmost important in all that we do and you do an except excuse me, an exemplary job of that. So thank you, thank you. Great, thank you. And um, Eric, I will just um, close us out by really um, thanking everyone for their for, for their work. Um, Anna, thank you for your work on the audit committee. I hope you're staying warm as much as possible. I know we've got several people who've been out of heat for several days, including Commissioner Bermedford, who is in our office today. Um, uh, thank you, Shani. I, I really appreciate your expertise as well as your willingness to ask the tough questions and having a whole committee of audit members who are who are also willing to do that is really um, important, I think, to this process. Um, I want to thank Auditor McGurk, um, Anna Marie, and the entire audit staff who um, who has been working on this. I will just say, you know, I was just having a conversation with the auditor yesterday about the difference between compliance audits versus performance audits. And I think to um, Commissioner Myron's questions, you know, this is definitely falls in the category of compliance audits and making sure that we're doing that. And we have, you know, our in our audit team who who really um, does both, but also really focuses on performance audits and, and um, you know, that role of the elected auditor is so important for answering those questions about, you know, are, you know, how well are we performing on what the outcomes we're trying to get and things like that. And that's why the partnership I think we have with the with the auditor and that team is is really important in, in our work and our jobs of um of this board. Um as well as the entire organization. Um, I want to thank you, Ashley, the whole Moss Autumns team for the, the continued partnership over the years in these audits. Um, I want to um, thank you so much for the diligence um, that you bring in looking at this work to ensure that we have a thorough and comprehensive audit of Multnomah County's financials. Um, and I just want to reflect on the really outstanding audit results this year. I think especially in, in response to some of the findings from previous years, you know, I know there was a finding around the federal grants and even looking at that, um, that we have, we have made those adjustments. We have been responsive to those findings and we have improved and changed um, the practices um, 
so that we are um, that we are um, doing what we need to around um, all of our you know um, compliance obligations, um, and and so it really and that really rests with you, Eric, with your team, and with our finance team members throughout the organization. So just huge thanks um, to you and and to everyone who has been a part of this. And I, I appreciate you reaching out. I know usually in the room when we're there, we have everybody stand up so that they can be acknowledged, and we weren't able to do that. But I appreciate appreciate you taking the time to do that. So um, thank you so much. Um, with that, I will go ahead and turn it over to Marina um, for a, a vote. Commissioner Myron? Aye. Commissioner Beeson? Aye. Commissioner Brim Edwards? Aye. Commissioner Stegman? Aye. Chair Vega-Peterson? Aye, the resolution is adopted. Thank you. Thank you, Chair and Commissioners. Thank you. Um, so that um, concludes our agenda for today. Um, now is the time when we have um, set aside for non-agenda items, um, comments from the board. Um, I'll go through the commissioners um, to see who has comments or wants to share things today. I did want to just start off by, um, you know, just sharing some um, some thoughts around the severe weather response that has been going on for the last several days. Um, you know, we know that we have we ramp up the severe weather sites um, because they absolutely save lives during the coldest nights of the year. Um, and as we um, look at, you know, how to how to what we're going to do in terms of opening, in terms of the number of sites, all of that, we really use the best information that we have to make those decisions about the severe weather shelter openings and closings. And um, the preparations for both pieces of that are really multi-day endeavors. Um, so we're in constant communications with weather and emergency management experts ahead of and during the events. Um, you know, and the decision-making process that we go into is never made lightly or without consultation from experts, leaders, and partners. I think when we, um, you know, when we were looking at yesterday's shelter closing, we really were making informed decisions the night before using the metrics that we have for thresholds um, in consultation with with our, you know, with the weather response. And I think what we found yesterday was something different. And we know that weather is unpredictable. And sometimes weather events with low probability, like um, yesterday's delay thaws, do take place. So I would say that um, you know, we always do our best. We meet, you know, five in the morning to nine o'clock to ten o'clock at night to to have these conversations, predicting and timelining um, exactly. Um, is always hard, but we're always trying to um, use the best information available to make those decisions. I will say that yesterday, um, guideline um, yesterday's the thresholds that we have were not met to keep the shelters open beyond the early morning hours, even as conditions involved. But I, but there was a, a huge response when it became clear that temperatures weren't going to be rising as quickly as expected or as predicted. Um, we delayed shelter closings by at least two hours across all 12 shelters that we had open um, and made sure that anyone who was exiting the shelter were supported with tents and sleeping bags, TriMet passes, dry clothes, shoes, and then um, connections and information about resources um, that people could get connected to. It was just a tough time um, also because um, we didn't also have access to some of the um, normal um, services that we have, like TriMet's Lyft, for instance, wasn't running in some of those things. Um, I will say that um, as much as possible, we kept um, resources open, like the Behavioral Health Resource Center. Um, they remain open and help people stay warm and connect to services throughout the event, um, and including today. Um, and we also, again, have 
um, 24-7 shelter beds and day centers, which are um, operating at that center as well. Um, I will say that the outreach that started between, you know, it started as of January 9th, really, to reach out to people continues today. We are getting an unprecedented amount of um, severe weather, um, uh, cold weather supplies out to folks. Um, that outreach is continuing um, today. Um, we are, um, you know, encouraging people and, and making sure we're connecting people as much as possible to the um, more than 2,500 shelter beds that we currently do have open every night. Um, you know, we really want to make sure that as much as we're responding to folks in, in these kinds of weather situations, we're also making sure that people are getting connected with the resources that we have open all year round. And, um, you know, we had, we were having conversations again early this morning, looking at the weather today. Temperature and precipitation thresholds to open severe weather shelters are not going to be met today, but what we're doing is continuing that um, distributions of gear and we are also going to be opening um, three cold weather supply depots between 1 p.m. and 4 p.m. today to replace any gear that was damaged um, yesterday or um, overnight. So we're going to have teams at three different locations throughout the county that are going to be distributing um, uh, distributing tents tarps, sleeping bags, wool blankets, water, snacks, all of those things. Um, those um, locations that we're going to be operating out of include um, Cultivate Initiatives at 14625 Southeast Stark Street. Um, that's 14625 Southeast Stark. So that is right on the, um, the 20 line for TriMet. Um, we also are going to be having um, resources available at Bud Clark Commons, um, that's um, North uh, 650 Northwest Irving Street. So that is um, right by the R. McCoy building. And um, Market Street is also going to be um, distributing um, gear and supplies. And the Market Street location is 120 Southeast Market Street. Um, 120 Southeast Market Street. So just in um, inner Southeast. I did. I also wanted to just take a time to say just a, a, a huge thank you to all of the Multnomah County's um, employees, our workforce. There were extraordinary efforts that have been made over the last over over the last ten days. Um, outstanding leadership from um, you know not just the the leadership team, but the people who who came in, who took the person in charge roles, and really um, allowed us to have um, a response um, to provide what's needed during. Um, this kind of severe weather event and an extremely challenging multi-day event as well. Um, you know, this has been challenging many people personally with uh, with uh, heat going out um, and um, also in the work we do. And we're trying to, you know, continue to serve the public in the best way possible on, when roads are hard to get to when when things are closed. And so I'm really grateful for all of the people that stepped up. Um, you know, I want to thank people. We had not just our employees, but we had partners who came through in this. Um, severe weather crisis, um, the state, um, the cities, our, our partners, um, members of the community that really um, step forward in this time of need. We had shelters open 24 seven for four, four uh, days and five nights. At the peak, we were serving 1,269 people um, and more than 80 pets. Um, and we accomplished something um, that was really important for this community. And, um, you know, that was, genuinely done and this is what I saw in, in the time that I spent in the shelter like all of the work is genuinely done out of the love and care that um, people have for the community that our employees have for this community and I just want each staff member 
um, to know that um, I see your commitment. I appreciate your commitment to the people that we're here to serve. And um, I'm grateful for it, especially on behalf of the of the people that were safe and warm during these life threatening conditions. Um, the dedication to the community is exactly why I believe um, believe in you and Loma County and and the work that we do. So I just appreciate all of our community who was able to step up. Um, with that, I will open it up to the board for comments, and I'll start with you, Commissioner Stegman. Thank you, Chair. Uh, thank you for that update. I really appreciate it. I'm excited to hear about the cold weather depots. Uh, and I also just wanted to offer my condolences. Uh, there were lives lost during this extreme weather event. Uh, and I just want to recognize um, how difficult this has been uh, on individuals and families and our community. Uh, and appreciate Multnomah County stepping up and the many, many volunteers that, that opened and operated those shelters. Uh, so um, thank you all if, if and however you contributed to help your friends and your neighbors. It is greatly appreciated. Uh, I do have some questions uh, and I would assume that there will be an after action report of this weather event. Uh, some of the things that came to mind uh, is could we in future events evaluate uh, public transportation? Uh, I know that TriMet, you know, had to shut down uh, at certain periods. Uh, and also, would there be a review of incentives uh, for employees? So it is an after action report. Uh, is that something that would be forthcoming? So after every event, we do an after action report. Um, we do have, so one of the things um, during these events is that I declare an emergency because the declaration of emergency is what um, uh, CRIMA uses to declare free um, free transport from along their lines to people who are who are moving to or from shelters or moving between shelters. So that that was always a, an important piece of it, I think. And we, um, what the challenge was is that um, you know, we also had max lines that had stopped running. And like I said, some of those specific transports that that TriMet does provide, like lift services, were not operating. Um, they they made the decision to do that. So I think the conversation about what that looks like in the future is an important one. Um, and we definitely can talk about incentives. We have many, many incentives for employees, um, including, um, you know, um, additional pay and things like that. And so what I'll ask is um, for Serena to send that out to the board. So you, everybody has a clear picture of, of really what our policies um, are right now. And then, you know, again, that is always something that we will, um, that we take a look at across the board and, and after actions is, is just really the whole, whole response. Great. Thank you, Chair. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Commissioner Myron. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I was going to bring up the, excuse me, excuse me, decisions made about um, what's happened with the the freezing temperatures and decisions made about sending people from shelters into the extreme cold. And um, I appreciate Commissioner Stegman bringing in the personal that. So many people have been impacted, um, whether it is from power outages, whether it, or to the most extreme cases of people, people dying from the cold. And my heart just goes out to um, 
the families of these individuals and there are no words that any any of us can say that can can help with that horrific reality um but i i guess the the question in my mind is about it it remains about those decisions to send people out from shelter into the cold and i i appreciate that um sort of chair your uh explaining some of how you are making those decisions and you know what what comes into play and um you know and and sometimes yeah the uh predictions will be wrong um but i i'm just curious about allowing for discretion in some of these thresholds and common sense like I, you just walk out your door and Oh, it is not, it is not livable up, but like, it is not okay to have people be outside in this and whether that can factor in, even if the temperature is predicted to be a certain amount, um, to have some discretion. Um, is that something that's in the, you know, currently being done, or is it something we can talk about how to incorporate that? That is that is um, uh, definitely something that's already in our SOPs for making decisions about opening severe weather shelters, and um, there are different factors. I mean, just an example of some of those is looking at um, hypothermia um, cases in the ER. If we're seeing increases in, in emergency departments and hospitals, that's considered um, looking at um, uh, factors, um, you know, um, like wind chill and some of these other things that are that are part of it. Um, um, what's happening with um, that? So there's there is the and again like um, Serena to send out not just what our you know just just to we can have the thresholds for that and and we you know in fact we look at those very closely as we're having these conversations and making decisions about what we're going to do you know each day because we make decisions each day about how the shelters are going to be open. Um, I think the other thing that we consider is the safety. Um, safety for people both um, of being outside, but also the safety, the safe environment we would be able to um, maintain the shelters. Um, one of the things is, um, you know, we didn't have access to the convention center, for instance, which is a really large shelter um, space normally. And, um, but you also can have, um, you know, um, like, a staff size that is meets the needs there, but it's different when you're opening 12 smaller shelters and you need separate teams for each of those. Um, the last, I would say the last days, uh, last few shifts, we were we were really um, desperately calling through. We had leadership and managers calling through employees to get people to sign up for shifts. So I do wanna um, take a second to thank, I know Commissioner Beeson, you and your office stepped up. I know there were um, folks from um, District 3 who, who participated. And so I really appreciate all the folks who were able to, to come in and, and take shifts for this. Um, we, um, you know, but we wanna make sure that we're able to provide adequate staffing and not just like people, but people with medical, behavioral health, um, you know, the uh, leadership experience in managing the site so that we're able to provide that safe environment when we are. And so all of those things are are considered as factors when we're making decisions about, about opening, not just the kind of three uh, weather related threshold um, criteria. Okay. 
All right. Um, well, I, I guess, yeah. Um, I, I mean, I personally, I, it sounds like the shelters are going to be closed or people are going to have to leave today at noon, despite freezing rain and that. And I would like to voice my belief that shelters should not be closed and people should not be forced out today. Um, I think it's unconscionable kind of just even looking out my window, what I'm seeing. Uh, so I would like to express that. Um, and, you know, the getting for people to be able to get to a location to pick up gear. I'm not sure that's a reasonable expectation for most people who are living outside, along with giving them a, you know, a sleeping bag. Great. You can go sleep in a freezing, soggy sleeping bag. I don't, I don't know. I, there's a lot to be addressed here and I know we're still in it. So, um, I, I just want to express my discomfort and, um, and how upset I am about, about a lot of this. And I, you know, Anyway, um, the and it it ties in the one other thing. I'm not sure if others saw the this tragic story. It was in the Lund report, and sometimes that, I don't know if people see that, but there was a mental health worker, Haley Rogers, who was 26 years old, who had been working in a Cascadia facility. It's in Multnomah County. I don't know whether it's a county-run facility, but it's a mental health um, residential facility, and because of staffing and capacity and all issues. Um, she was working alone uh, at night in a residential mental health facility and one of the residents murdered her um, because they were able to access knives and weapons that were stored in the facility. Um, and I, just, I, I was just so devastated by the story and wanted to elevate that and um, think about ways that we are ensuring that organizations that we contract with to provide mental health services, behavioral health services in general, um, uh, whatever services we're providing are able to, uh, that we're ensuring that they're keeping their staff and clients safe. Um, so I'll be, I've, I've asked the behavioral health division for information about sort of Cascadia and what's happening there, but I just didn't know if Others had seen the story. I'll, I'll forward it to you, but it, it was just heartbreaking. So anyway, um, heartbreaking news today. And that's all I got. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Ryan. I know that was a tragedy. It happened last July, and it's just definitely something that we are, you know, looking into um, as uh, it wasn't a, a county facility, but it was, a, a, um, you know, some of the an organization that we do have subcontracts with. So um, thank you, Commissioner Beeson. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I want to extend my thanks to the many uh, hundreds of volunteers uh, who came out um, to make sure people were warm and safe for, over these last couple of days. I was uh, truly inspired by uh, so many amazing people I met uh, during my uh, shifts at the shelter. Um, I also recognize that um, none of our decisions are can be as humane as we want them to be, given the current structure of our society in this country and the way we treat one another. So I also don't envy you your position, Chair, to make pretty tough calls with all of the evidence uh, you're presented. And um, it, it's not a great, it's not a great situation. 
Um, but I also want to thank, uh, because I cover some transportation, I want to thank the transportation staff of the county in particular um, uh, for their uh, fast, incredibly fast mobilization in particular as we think about um, the work that they did in uh, East County. So I want to uh, appreciate them. I also want to uh, congratulate Commissioner Brim Edwards for making it all the way into the office. <laughs> and uh, I don't know how you did it, but congratulations. Thank you all. I hope she's not spending the night there. So we're, we'll go ahead, uh, Commissioner Brim Edwards. Yeah, um, I'm glad there wasn't a video of me trying to get to the office. <laughs> it wasn't a pretty sight. Um, thank you, Chair. Uh, my comments this morning are also focused on the weather emergency that we experienced and are, are still experiencing um, this week. And I, I wanna start with um, the appreciation to um, all the volunteers um, from the employees who helped stand up the emerging warming, the emergency warming centers all over the county. Um, and I know that many department county departments adjusted their work to meet the staffing need and that I know a variety of community based locations also opened up to shelter um, some for the first time to shelter folks these past few days. And those efforts really save lives. So thank you for to the county staff, um, essential workers, and all the community volunteers who really um, pitched in under very challenging circumstances. Um, as we um, eventually, when the weather gets better, um, I expect like the county uh, to do everything we can to help those community locations get cleaned up and left in even better condition than when they opened as shelter locations. Um, we know we'll need them for future emergencies. And so um, so leaving things in better condition than we that they, they were when we arrived um, will be really important to continue those relationships and the partnerships um, with community organizations. Um, I really appreciate those that stepped up and opened their doors um, to, to those in need. Um, I also think um, moving forward, we should have a really robust a conversation with Metro and the city um, and what their responsibilities are to partner with us. Um, Clearly, they have some things that are um, their um, sort of primary um, responsibilities, but also in times like this, um, the county needs strong partnership from especially the city of Portland and Metro um, so that we can bring sort of the full array and strength of um, our local jurisdictions um, to support our community members because they're all our responsibilities. And then, um, and I'm going to preface this by saying, um, having served for 10 years on the school board, um, I know how challenging making the call is, um, you know, every night um, peppered with um, questions about whether schools are going to be opening, what the conditions are. Um, so these, these aren't critical comments and they're made in recognition of how challenging and complex making, making the call is on opening, closing, um, decisions. It is my first cold weather um, season as a county commissioner. Um, so I do have, um, as you might expect, a lot of questions about sort of how our thresholds um, get set and what flexibility they um, there is within it. 
Um, as with Commissioner Myron, um, I guess I'm looking for sort of the flexibility within the range, just given we, um, the one thing we do know about weather is that it's unpredictable. We can predict about weather is it's somewhat unpredictable. Um, and how do we, you know, set in some ways set ranges so that um, I guess that we would um, make decisions. Sort of defaulting on that more conservative side, um, so that if we end up, I say, being, I'm going to just go back to my school board experience. Um, when we make a decision in which we were not conservative enough, and you have, say, for example, students getting home at 10 o'clock at night, um, it's much more concerning than if we, for example, close schools and um, the predicted weather didn't come um, because really there's no, um, you may have inconvenienced people, but we didn't put people in danger. So just like thinking about um, how we set those thresholds so that the um, they give us the latitude if we do not get, for example, in this case, the, the, the thaw that we thought um, that we that we can flex because I do know that it just opening and closing it's not a snap decision. There's lots of uh, pre work and post work, um, but I'd I'd be interested in like how we add some flexibility and how we pivot and and take more conservative positions that may leave things open for an extra day, um, even if. Uh, the, maybe the weather doesn't requ require it, um, but that we then have the flexibility to stay open. Um, so that's one thing, and I will I will say just this this morning, um, you know, after going three days without power, but I will say in a dry space, which in this type of weather is very um, important. It still took me like five minutes to get down my front steps, and just getting from the parking garage into the building. Um, I would not have made it without um, a very kind county staffer who had traction devices on his um, on his boots. Um, so again, it's super treacherous out across the county, and I, I know that community leaders and uh, community members want to help the county. Um, and I think we saw that over the last um, several days, but also think about in the future and as we move through the next week. Um, how we tap our community members and community leaders to to help the county keep um, our um, most vulnerable uh, residents uh, warm and safe. And then the last uh, piece, this is a, a bigger um, a topic, not necessarily directly connected to the, the weather conditions and the weather emergencies we've had, um, but the weather conditions this week um, really reinforces uh, for me my support for the city and county having a very robust and strong shelter system um, that, and, and I know that that work is on underway, um, but to continue to focus on that, um, having people on the, on the streets without basic services or shelter um, is, is not humane um, in any conditions, but especially this past week. So I'm really supportive of us continuing our work to to build out that strong, robust shelter system um, with um, and acknowledging that that shelter system is to be a, a path to to um, to permanent housing, um, but that 
having people on the streets without basic services um and i i don't consider you know tents or anything else to be adequate for what for the basic service basic services that people should have um so i'm gonna continue to, to to advocate that and um appreciative that the the county has over the last several months made a um, a very significant um, investment um, in the shelter system in conjunction with the city. Thank you, Commissioner. And um, just and I appreciate your lifting up um, the ways that our partners can help support these efforts um, or the other jurisdictions. I think that's huge. I mean, I know in the shelter I was at, we had um, we had county staff who had been in their position all night, and then were going home to sleep for a couple of hours, and then getting. Um, starting their their regular job where they were working with with clients and um in our in our department of county human services for instance right like we have people who are showing up and i think that um it's an important conversation to see we know what incentives we have for employees to take these shifts and and the flexibility we allow them to do that um to make that possible i think we you know those are conversations that we need to be having with metro with the city of portland the the fact that the state of oregon opened up a shelter was huge. It added at least eight um, beds of uh, 80 beds of capacity um, for for those nights. And um, and I know that both I know that the city of Portland, um, Gresham, the Port of Portland Metro sent out emails to their employee list asking for people to step up. We just need to um, continue to really push on that because, again, we need we need to make sure that we have um, enough staffing capacity to be able to safely serve everybody we need to. Especially, I think when it's when it's those um, we're not meeting thresholds, but we want to be taking in um, all the consideration of all the factors, and um, and and if we have you know staffing resources, if we have people available to staff, it makes it um, that's one less thing that we have to be concerned about in in making those decisions. So appreciate all that. I appreciate the comments and the thoughts, um, uh, Commissioner Beeson. I thank you for pointing out the kind of societal you know um, impacts of it's an, an imperfect system, um, and I do agree that. Um, you know, we didn't, we don't really talk about this much, but it is, you know, in addition to the, the over 1200 beds that we were able to, to provide, we had 2500 beds of, of shelter capacity that was that that is currently open to serve people as well. So, um, thanks for lifting that up. All right. Well, um, appreciate this. Um, it was a little bit of a flashback to 2021 being virtual today, um, but I just appreciate everybody um, being here and um, there being no further business. We are adjourned. Thank you.